This is episode 154 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined today by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan. How are we doing today, guys? Just living the dream. Back from vacation, back to the grind, uh, nice and relaxed. So, Yeah, we get uh, Paul back this week. Uh, Brad's out on vacation this week weekend for Labor Day, so he's enjoying the time away. But uh, we got a lot to talk about this week, too, so uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, a reminder, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know their great beers like Block Party and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. The next time you're in Madison, stop by their brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side or look for it at your own local grocery store. You can also get a 20% discount on some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to this podcast. Just go to Carbon4.com. Use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. For just $5 a month, our Ball and Glove and Above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. Uh, They're working on one right now as we speak, so be on the lookout for that. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. Now that Packer season is apparently just a week away. Yeah, uh, that kind of stuck up on, stuck up on everybody up on, with no yeah. preseason and not enough baseball having been played to trigger football season in anybody's head. But yeah, it starts next week against the Vikings. That, that's good. I didn't even realize who they're playing week one. So thank you for that. <laughs> they did just record, uh, I guess, their first episode of the new season last week, uh, kind of the season preview. So check that out if you can. Uh, they'll have episodes kind of regularly every week now that we're apparently in football season. It still seems weird to say. Paul's uh, mini pods also coming back this uh, this week. This sometime week. We'll, this week? We'll, have the, okay. we'll have the Vikings preview up this week, tell you about the major changes they've made, about why they're probably not as good anymore as they used to be, and all of that good stuff. Great. So be on the lookout for that. That's also included in that $5 a month ball and glove level on Patreon. So sign up and you get that Vikings preview as well. Uh, turning to the baseball now, I guess it makes sense that we're kind of talking about the playoff race and baseball and football season starting off, but the calendar is kind of a mess right now. Uh, it's hard to believe it's September already, but here we are, you know, as we record this on Sunday, the Brewers are still hanging around that playoff race. They're what five and three in the last eight games or so, just a game or so behind uh, the half game out of the playoffs as we recorded this today. So. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, as a reminder, it's the first two teams in every division plus two additional wild cards. So uh, playoff odds looking pretty decent. I think we looked it up before the show. What is it like 39, 40 percent right now? That was on baseball reference. Uh, Fangraphs has them at 53.6. So above 50 percent to make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it. they still haven't broken out yet. I don't think they're even got they I don't think they've even gotten over 500 yet. It feels like every single time they get there, uh, they lose that game, which is the case Saturday night. We had uh, Josh Hader giving up his first hits of the season, blowing, I guess not a save. It was a tie game when he came in, but gave up his first hits, and the Brewers lost on a walk-off. So back to two games below, and they face uh, Bieber fever today. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But I guess I just wanted to start uh, on both of your thoughts on the playoff race and and the Brewers chances, I guess, going into these last few weeks here, Paul, do you want to start? Sure. I mean, they're, they're pretty good. It's just that it feels kind of fake. Um, and (laughs) it's, it feels so weird to have them be as bad as they have kind of been. I mean, yeah, they're in the thick of things right now. If they get hot, they'll be fine. But 
it's kind of some cognitive dissonance to have them playing like the worst offense you've ever seen, but only be like either half game in or out of the playoffs on a daily basis. So it doesn't feel authentic. All, all that said, like I think their odds of making it are pretty good because I, they can't really get worse offensively. Yelich has been coming back a little bit. Here has been hitting quite a bit better. There have been some signs of life, and if they start to get good offensive performances, um, you know they'll they'll be better, <laughs> and they don't have to play much better to get into the playoffs than they are right now. So I think I'm very optimistic about it. Some of the teams ahead of them are. I'm kind of fraudulent too. Like the Rockies are ahead of them and no one's scared of the Rockies. Um, the Marlins have been crashing out nicely since, since their start. And the, like it's the giants. It's, it's all a bunch of non-scary teams. Not that the Brewers are a very scary team, but feeling pretty good about it because they should trend upwards against a bunch of teams that frankly aren't very good. Yeah. I think that that's exactly accurate. It's a very, very strange situation. The national league in general is just, really bad at one point last week it's better than this now but at one point last week there were four teams over 500 in the national league yep and this is sort of a reversal like we're used to this for the past what 20 years of the al pretty handily beating the nl in interleague play and that had actually reversed the last few years the nl had moved ahead because you had so many teams in the al that were tanking or just Mm -hmm. in their down cycle or just bad that that had reversed and this year it seems to have come back with an absolute vengeance where the American League is just really handling the National League quite a bit and so there's all these teams in the National League under 500 because this year you have a much higher portion of the schedule is being uh is interleague I mean you're looking at mm-hmm. a full 33% of your schedule of everybody's schedule is interleague play. That's way higher than what it normally is. So you'd expect this to to really be a factor and it has been. And it's it's absolutely wild that the the National League has been getting crushed. We'll see if that holds up through the rest of the season cuz I don't think I look at like the the AL East and or sorry, I look at the uh, the NL East and I don't see a lot of bad teams there. Like those teams are not bad. Especially with the Marlins having gotten off to a surprising start so i don't see like horrible teams there and i i certainly don't see I, I still see a bunch of bad teams in the al i think if you look at the worst teams in baseball most of them are in the american league you know mm-hmm. between the royals the orioles yeah, yeah. like the bad I mean, teams still tend to be over there so yeah the divide between the have and the have nots is definitely a lot more clear in the al where if you look at the standings the their eight playoff spots are basically wrapped up already uh, well, there's... <laughs> I mean, that's the only reason. The only reason that's true is because the last two teams in right now are the Astros and the Yankees, and you don't expect them to to fall three games to catch the the Orioles and the Tigers, who are right behind right. them. So right. yeah, on, on the one, yeah, okay, fine. It's it's pretty much set because those two teams probably aren't going to tank. But on the other hand, you know, we're dealing with small sample sizes here, and Detroit's actually already had some hot streaks in them. Um, so. I mean, I'm actively rooting for the, for the, at least the Orioles to knock the Yankees out because that would be incredible. So that's not impossible. It, it's it could happen. It could happen. You know, th- this year doesn't really matter anyway, right? We've already yeah. kind of decided unless the Brewers win the World Series, it doesn't count. So we may as well just cheer for mass chaos, like the Orioles knocking the Yankees out. And- I mean, if the Yankees get knocked out, it matters. That really would be something. <laughs> like that's yeah. The, yeah, if, if you need an AL rooting interest, that should be your AL rooting interest because right now the Yankees are in 
tied with the Astros in eighth place, you know, the last playoff spot. So um, they're, they're not that safe. They're, the only reason they're safe is because the teams behind them are just kind of bad teams. But if they have a cold streak or in, suffer some injuries, they could drop um, out of the playoffs to the Orioles or the Tigers very easily. So root for and that. They- They've already suffered a lot of injuries. I think they have. They're Stanton's really been up. out for a while. Glaber Torres, as a fantasy owner of Glaber Torres, I'm well aware he's barely played this year. So, uh, you know, yeah, the Yankees do have some concern there, but I do think the way that the league is basically structured, a lot would have to go wrong for them, even more than it has for that to to kind of switch. And I mean, you you talked about the. Uh, interleague disparities there. I think that's really benefiting the AL Central teams now. You look at you know, Cleveland, the White Sox and the Twins are all, you know, cruising along here and they're all basically built on the strength of picking off these NL Central teams. Uh, a lot of success against the Pirates and the Reds and even the Brewers. So yep. uh, it, it we'll see, though, like you guys said, the, the Brewers aren't out of it as weird as it seems. And maybe it's oddly encouraging that they've played this pitifully <laughs> and they're still <laughs> we go back to our you know, shortened season preview. I think Paul, you even made the point, like the Brewers could have a horrendous first month and cruise along here in September and they're in easy. So it's just the nature of these small sample sizes. Uh, and, and the Brewers do have a lot of head to head games against the Cardinals, all of their head to head games, actually in the next few weeks, they're playing their 10 games against the Cardinals to close out the year. So that will have a big effect on the playoff race as well. So We'll see how that goes. Yeah, 10 of their last 16 games are against the Cardinals. Oh, goodness. That sounds awful. Well, six of those games are also doubleheaders. So they're going to be seven in no games. No way that goes well. There's no way that goes well for the Brewers. <laughs> you, you would hope the Cardinals run out of gas at some point? Yeah, yeah. the Cardinals are pretty flawed, too. So They are. They are. Yeah, they're not a, a juggernaut by any means. They will get the advantage of, and the Brewers will too, of getting to call up an extra player for all those uh, double headers. So that'll yep. be that'll be useful. It's kind of nuts. All of those Cardinal games take place after the final Milwaukee Chicago game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all, <laughs> that's insane. It's um, just a weird schedule. Yeah, I mean, yeah. remember we were supposed to have played the Cardinals in the second week of the season and that obviously didn't happen and that's why this is all getting pushed back the brewers will also be playing a game at at st louis as the home team so that will be i think it's the first half of the doubleheader in st louis they did i did appreciate that they gave the brewers uh two of the doubleheaders at miller park and only one of them on the road so and they couldn't do all three at Miller Park because that would be three doubleheaders in three days, and that would be insane. So <laughs> insane, yes. This entire season's insane, though. So. Yes, it is. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, shifting gears to the still pitiful offense, it kind of claimed another victim in this last week. Turns out Paul was right about Justin Smoke. I, I told all of you, and if you didn't <laughs> listen, that's on you. Um, <laughs> But yes, Justin Smoke is a bad player and has always been a bad player and is still a bad player and is now not a baseball player. So, um, yeah, I mean, he wasn't always a bad player. The guy had good seasons. <laughs> uh, I mean, he might still be a baseball player. Who knows? Maybe, I don't know. Time, but he's not right now. <laughs> not not right now. Uh, he was DFA'd. Uh, his final line with the Brewers ends up being uh, 186, 262, 381. Uh, slash line with a not so nice 69 OPS plus in 126 plate appearances. 
the Brewers finally decided they had seen enough, or maybe it was just kind of the opportunity of seeing uh, Big Dan Vogel back on the waiver <laughs> wire there. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to we'll get to Big Dan in a second here, but first, I guess, are we surprised the Brewers cut him loose at this point? I I know how Paul's gonna think on this, well, but uh, let me start because there, yeah, aside from my distaste for Justin Smoke, their mo is with these guys like okay you get this chance you get this window and if you're still terrible well there's lots of terrible people we can employ who aren't you so um (laughs) you'll note logan morrison's not on the team anymore too he just Mm -hmm. got it first and this is just how they operate and if there's somebody else out there who they think can be better in small sample sizes or you know they identify something they can fix they'll move on from some other terrible guy on the roster for that person as well so it's not surprising and if you are that fringe guy who they are counting on for a weird bounce back or small sample size success and you don't have it. They have shown themselves perfectly willing to move on from you pretty quickly and mercilessly. And that's what they did. And they will continue to do so um, going forward with those guys. Yeah. And that's not the worst strategy in the world in this kind of a condensed season. I wouldn't have expected them to give up on Justin smoke that fast. If we were playing 162 game season. That sure they would have let it play out more, and we've seen them be willing to hold on to guys even when it doesn't necessarily work out. We saw it with Travis Shaw, we saw it with Jesus Aguilar. We've seen it over and over and over where they have they have stuck with guys for much longer than this. But in this condensed season, they're just yeah, it it, it makes sense what they did just from a keeping things moving and trying to find something that clicks and works to not sit and be stagnant and not, you know, just basically sit on your hands when you're sitting in the position they are, which is very close to a playoff spot, but very much in danger of also missing, you know, 50, 50 shot. It can go really either direction here. So they have a lot of incentive to just try different things. And that I think is what they're doing. But, you know, like, like was just said, Dan Vogelbach is not like better. (laughs) He just might be hotter for a few weeks. Like he's for his career. He's not really a better hitter than Justin smoke. I do agree with that. He's he's rough. One of the benefits of having him is you can sell some extra large jerseys before he (laughs) works his way off the team um, because Milwaukee will probably like him for the reasons they typically like big chunky dudes. But Dan Volgebach has always been a pure power prospect. Actually, Got to see him and Tyrone Taylor play many, many, many years ago in Kane County when they were still in uh, single A. And he's just a power guy that never really developed enough hitting tool uh, contact or even raw power or even not raw power, the other kind. Uh, playing power. Game power, yeah. Game power to actually matter. So he's not a young prospect anymore. And maybe maybe being in Miller Park, which is helpful to lefties, maybe there's something they see in him that they get some adjustment out of him, helps him. But... Uh, the big problem with Dan Vogelbach is he doesn't add anything else. Like he's not a good defensive player. <laughs> um, he's barely even a defensive player at all and uh, not fast. You know, th- there's nothing else here. If he's not hitting for power, he's completely worthless. Um, so maybe they can turn him around, but he's probably not good or not going to last very long. I mean, he's going to be their DH. They're not really going to yeah. play him much yeah. at first base. And it looks like Jed Jerko is now gonna be that first baseman and he's a good defensive player i do like jerko defensively though smoke was fine defensively and jerko honestly at third was pretty good which is surprising for a guy that's that slow that he was a very solid defender over there but he was so good reminder that foot speed and uh especially on the infield defense 
do not correlate like the, the old JJ Hardy thing. Everybody just assumed he wasn't that great a defender after his injury in Milwaukee in 2006 because he was so mm-hmm. slow because he lost like the little bit of foot speed that he had. And yet, mm-hmm. like if you go and look at the, the advanced metrics, JJ Hardy was one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball, especially in like the 2010 to like 2013 range. He was an elite defender, even though he really couldn't run, which is bizarre, but it is how that works. I know uh, you were you guys were under instructions from Brad to trash Dan Vogelbach while he's not here. So <laughs> I will take up the defense of Big Dan Vogelbach here. Okay. So I, I I was tweeting earlier this week. I ended up writing a, the uh, what to expect out of him piece for Brew Crew Ball, and I I found myself falling in love with the big guy. I can't help it. I I dug th- through some numbers, and yes, he's never going to hit for average. If you ever get two fifty out of him, I think you're probably lucky. And as Paul noted, the the raw power hasn't really translated into uh, gaudy home run numbers until last year, at least, when he finally got a chance to play uh, full-time in the majors, and he hit 30 home runs. But uh, I will fully admit, also possibly a Super Bowl-related 30 home run hitter. And that came with a 208 batting average. It did. Uh, And so... Here's the thing. Uh, he made the all-star team last year, A, because the Mariners were terrible and they needed to send somebody. Uh, <laughs> but also, he ha- he got off to a crazy hot start at- that kind of inflated his overall numbers for the entire season. So it- it's kind of like the inverse of the Christian Yelich situation that we've been talking about, right? His, his yep. April got off to... It was a Eric Thames April, which I think is fitting because I think he's a player that the comp is most similar to here he had a thamesian april where he just went off and then that kind of carried his overall numbers through the entire season the slump got so bad yeah he ended up the year with like a 204 batting average or something like that uh but the on base was still pretty insane when you consider that yeah he ended the year 208 but his on base was still 341 so i'm going to disagree with paul that the only thing he offers is power because the dude walks a ton so he has that value too. Granted, uh, he is what I guess Dusty Baker would call a base clogger because he's obviously going to be station to station. <laughs> and, and I thought it was kind of funny that his first game on Friday, Craig Council hit Jed Jerko and Dan Vogelbach back to back, which is like fully admitting that if these guys get on, we're going to need a three run homer to score. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't, by the way. I- ironically, no, that- they didn't. They didn't. But I think Jerko still scored on a single. I could be wrong. He did. He scored on a single. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't hate this move because he brings some power potential. He at least walks, which is more than you could say for Justin Smoke. And I don't I don't necessarily see this as a one for one trade off here. I know that's the temptation because he came in smoke left. But there are opportunities here for the future that we can get to in a second. Uh, But as as Paul said, moving to Miller Park as a lefty should help. He gets out of that giant park in Seattle, which is not great yeah. for lefty power as well. So uh, to add on that. to that really quick, that, that um, to add on to the Vogelbach positives very quickly, mm-hmm. um, he, he spent the vast majority of his career in Seattle, which is just a terrible place to hit generally. Yep. Um, and well, he, first of all, he is brutal against um, same side pitching as, as you would expect. And as a lot of lefties are, he is at a 540 OPS against him, but it's worth noting that, uh, his away splits for his career aren't terrible. Um, yeah, he, they're not great. He has a 758 OPS, but 342 OBP and 416 slugging. That's with some same side 
matchups mixed in there. At home, um, it, mostly in Seattle, he basically hit like he hits against same side pitching. He was just brutal anytime he had to hit in Seattle. So he might get a boost, um, a more significant boost than you might think from the short porch in right field at Miller Park. So that, that That's something that the Brewers look for frequently with their lefty bats. So mm-hmm. you, you might be able to count on that for something because hitting in Seattle just looks very unfun to me. I, I, I would want to <laughs> be out of there. The only person who, hits, who is a good fit for that park is actually Ichiro, and it's good he played there. Um, just if you're going to hit like a billion singles, it's the best place ever, but anything other than that is just brutally terrible. Yeah, and going back to something that James said about Smoke, because I have to correct the record on this. I mean, he did walk 10 times in 126 plate appearances this year. So he was walking at a reasonable rate. There's, you know, it's 186 batting average and a 262 on base. Like, there's a reasonable split there. So he he walked somewhat. Yeah, I guess my point more is if Dan Vogelbach hits 182, and there's, you know, admittedly a decent chance that he does. Yeah. The OBP is still going to be over 300. Yeah, it could be. And I kind of brought up the comparison to Eric Thames here. So when you look at Thames' three years with the Brewers, he ended with a 118 OPS plus. Last year, even though Dan Vogelbach struggled mightily in the second half of the year, kind of crashed to the earth, he still finished the year with a 112 OPS plus. So I, I don't know if the the production is that far off. And I know a lot of people have been missing Eric Thames this year, who also, by the way, has been terrible for Washington. But I think if you get that level of production out of Dan Vogelbach, you can be very happy. And even then, the comparison isn't cut and dry because Thames struck out a lot. He had like a career K percentage of, I think, 29%. Vogelbach's a little bit lower, 26.5%. And Vogelbach walks a lot more than Thames does. He's got a career 15.7 walk percentage. Thames is only like 9.8%. So I think you can really maybe dream on him as like the power on base guy uh, dream on that left-handed power. He's going to strike out a fair amount though. Uh, and a lot of that is just his patience too. You know, I dug through the numbers too. He rarely ever swings at the first pitch. He gets into a lot of deep zones. So he's going to be the type that, you know, maybe strikes out looking on two strikes, which will drive a ton of people mad, but he's, he's still got the, the opportunity here to, uh, grind out some at-bats and at least be more of an asset in the lineup than Justin Smoke was. And again, I'll just always go back to my number one belief in baseball. If you're going to be bad, at least be fun. And Dan Vogelbach is fun. I rest my case. (laughs) And he's gotten off to a decent start already. You know, he's three hits in his first six at-bats, even beat the shift a couple of times. Like, so he's got a believer in Bill Schroeder right away when he beat the shift in his first (laughs) poked one to left field, which... You know, I don't know if that's the approach you want a guy with Vogelbach's power taking, but, you know, more power to you. So, yeah, that that's my uh, way too long defense of Dan Vogelbach. And I'm sure Brad will be screaming at his uh, iPhone when he listens to this podcast later, but we can argue about that next week. It's fine. Yep. Uh, <laughs> we should be clear, in Brad, since Brad's not here, Dan Vogelbach has never been anything other than bad at the major league level, um, except for uh, like a month at the beginning of last season. Sure. He's we'll also gotten very few opportunities uh, full time, but True. there's probably a reason for that. He he's he's probably a four A player, but you know the last 27 year old the Brewers picked off the scrap heap ended up being okay. That was Jesus Aguilar, so True. True. it's fine. Uh, you know if they get a couple years out of him, great. We do have a couple of Patreon questions on 
Big Dan here. Uh, our first question, of course, from Jay Google, which I believe was it JR that called him the Helen Thomas of the, the yes. podcast network here. Helen Thomas of the podcast network. He did get the first number one in the press corps, so we're good. He got the first question in for reporting as eligible this season, too, because that's what Jay does. So <laughs> congratulations. All right. So uh, Jay's question on Vogelbach is, uh, is he a normal Stearns pickup, a guy with a couple years of control on a cheap contract? And in my long rambling defense, I did not mention that. But he, uh, yes, he has quite a few years of team control left if he does manage to stick on. I don't think he's arbitration eligible until after 2022. Again, because he's barely played in the majors. So I don't know. Is, is that a contributing factor? I guess something that we can maybe dream on, Ryan, that he's if, if he sticks, we got him for a few years at a really cheap deal here. I mean, I guess it's it's not. <laughs> like, let's let's be honest. It's it is a possibility because of just the weirdness going on right now with who knows what the the uh, what the Brewers payroll situation is going to look like next year. Who knows what, you know, the, the status of fans in the seats, which we talked about, you know, months ago now as being particularly important to the Brewers, that they make a higher percentage of their revenue because they don't have the big time local TV deal that some teams do have. So they make a higher percentage of their revenue off of people being in the park. And if they don't know for sure whether or not there's even going to be fans in the park next year or what that's going to look like, I could see them being very, very careful. They were very careful this year, pre-global pandemic, about what they were spending. So I could see that happening again. And there is probably a better chance than there should be that we would see Dan Vogelbach stick around on the 40 man through the winter, though he's going to have to survive some roster machinations, right? Like he's going to have to, there will be times when he is, he's got to be down close to that last man to go. And depending on what else they do, who else they pick up, what else yet, he could be the guy on the cut line kind of at any time I would imagine. But there is that possibility that they decide that they don't mind the idea, especially if he plays really well down the stretch and has a hot run. And maybe like James was talking about pops a few home runs into the, into the picnic area there. Like if it works out that way for them, then yeah, I I could see it, but I don't know that it's anything I'm actually rooting for. It's just, I suppose it could happen. Yeah. I I mean, nothing really to to add to that. It, It is a typical Stearns pickup, but I think it's a typical Stearns pickup in a very short-term way. It's like, we'll kick the tires on this guy. And if he happens to, you know, have a late breakout or any, you know, fits our park well, he's cheap. If he sticks for a little while, that's fine. But, you know, it's worth noting that, that Jesus Aguilar is not on the team anymore. And Eric Thames is not on the team anymore. And yeah, they, they were here for a while, but these guys tend to be short-term guys. And if they don't pan out, they tend to be off the team pretty quickly. So, um, it, it's that it's the roster turn at the bottom and that's what he is. And if he happens to rise above that, great. But, uh, that's, that's probably all that he is. And, um, that's all he's been in the majors so far. Yeah. It kind of leads us to our next Patreon question on Vogelbach, PJ Wessels asking, is he someone you expect to be on the roster in 2021? And is he someone you want on the roster in 2021? <laughs> I guess I kind of already answered this, didn't I? Ryan kind of answered yeah. that. So I guess, Paul, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I guess I would bet against it pretty heavily. Um, he, I agree. He's probably one of the last guys on the roster. It, it would take just a monster um, finish to the season from him. Or I don't know, monster, but, you know, highly competent, um, 
followed by a very good spring training. And even then, nothing would be guaranteed with him. Um, his versatility is really going to hit against him. The, the addition of the DH helps, I suppose. Uh, pro- he's probably not going to be on. He's not the kind of guy I really want to have on. I, I would bet heavily against it. He, he's, he's just not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys kind of touched on it too. A uh, contributing factor here is he's out of options, which kind of uh, sealed his fate oh, in Toronto yeah, he, after dead. two years. Uh, so yeah, you know he he goes against the typical Stearns edition in that way, where he doesn't have options, and that kind of you know adds to the Jesus Aguilar comp a little bit too, where yep. they hit, they hung on to him long, probably longer than they normally would have because he was out of options. And they knew that was his last stand, right? kind of cost him that spot in Toronto. I think his DFA there was more because the Jays added three guys at the trade deadline, Robbie Ray, uh, Ross Tripling, and our old friend Jonathan VR, and they needed the roster spots. So, you know, he was one of the more recent additions, so he was one of the first to go there. So I think you guys are kind of right in that. Maybe it depends on what the Brewers do this offseason and whether they need that roster spot or not. And, uh, you know, if there's guys they need to add to the 40 to protect him from the rule five. He could be a casualty there. Uh, but I do think if he can survive the winter, uh, he might be somebody who plays a factor, at least at the start of next season until he gets off to another five for 50 start. And then he gets yep. DFA'd again. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. So that was the big storyline of the offense of the week. I kind of want to turn to the pitching now for another, I guess, uh, pet project of mine, Corbin Burns, uh, I don't want to bring him up every single week, but he keeps looking amazing. Uh, so he's only got seven. He's got 17 strikeouts and only three walks over his last 12 innings pitch covering his last two outings. He hasn't given up an earned run. So his ERA is down to 235 ERA plus up to 197. Uh, so I ask this 67% facetiously, but also <laughs> kind of serious. Is he considered the staff ace now? Is he the best one going Ryan? It's trending that direction. I don't know that I would say that yet just because we don't have the history of him being a really good uh, starter for any length of time other than this year, whereas we have some history of that with Brandon Woodruff. And I think it's it's important to point out that, yes, Brandon Woodruff hasn't been maybe as good as I think our expectations were of him and what we wanted from him, but he's still having a pretty damn good year. You're looking at a guy who's got an ERA that's 18% above the park adjusted league average. So, or 18% better than the park adjusted league average, I should say. So Woodruff has actually been still fairly solid, even though he's not going deep into games. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute and why that is. But I still like, if you had to tell me given the control and I think Woodruff has one fewer year of control than uh, than Burns, but it's close, maybe. I would still take Woodruff over Burns as, like, if I had to keep one and drop one, I would keep Woodruff. But it's getting closer all the time, and it is undeniable that Corbin Burns is having a really impressive breakout season. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, I think you still have to bet on Woodruff in that scenario. But if Burns can kind of keep keep his trend of keeping his walks down as a starter, which was one of the red flags with him, he's done a really nice job on. His stuff is finally playing up. He's missing bats. And, and just I really think the dead ball is probably helping him quite a bit this year. Not that he's given up a ton of hard hit balls, but it's just a, a complete change from last year where he's just never seems to get hit hard when contact is made. So... 
Um, if he asked me the question at the same time next year, even just in relative to how seasons will work, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's the best starter on the team at that point. Um, although I don't think Woodruff's floor is um, low. It's, very, it's pretty high. So he'll, I think, be right there with him. But, uh, but yeah, I think Burns has always had a really high ceiling, and he seems to, at this point in small sample size, be kind of getting there. So um, not the ace yet, but I'd say well on his way. Yeah. You know, you talk about him avoiding the hard contact. Obviously, the home runs were the big issue last year. He's allowed one home run in 38 innings. Every other Brewers starter's allowed at least five at this point. So he's by far excelled in that area. And I know we were talking a few weeks ago. He was be- he was good, but he was walking a lot of guys. And I think we're, at least in the last couple of outings, he seems to have gotten that under control as well. Uh, So that's definitely an encouraging sign. Yeah. And, you know, you guys brought up Brandon Woodruff. That's part of the reason I kind of asked that, you know, tongue in cheek ace question. Uh, We saw him kind of fall apart in the fifth inning again on Saturday night. And that's kind of been the trend for him for a lot of this year, really. So I guess, Paul, what are what are the issues he's running into when he gets to that part of the game? So I think it's an issue that actually does impact him for not just the third time through the order, which is he does seem to have trouble putting guys away generally this year. Um, it, it does tend to rear its head more as the game goes on. But, you know, if you think back on every Brandon Woodruff start this year, there's usually that one batter who just takes him for like an, a 10 to 12 pitch at bat and mm-hmm. really seems to frustrate him. It happened again in his most recent start. And once it does, he, he seems to get extremely frustrated and um, just kind of fall apart. So he's been awful third time through the order. He's been very good first and second time. Um, and it's common. It's very common for pitchers to be worse the third time, but it's not common for them to be as bad as he's been, which is he's allowing a 500 OPS. So he's only getting out half the guys he faces. Um, he's allowing a basically a 1200 OPS third time through the order. And, um, he's walking way more guys than he should. Um, so just for context. So, you know, you, you pitch more the first and second time through the order just by the nature of how baseball works. So um, he has 80 and 81 plate appearances first and second time through the order, and he's got six and three walks um, in those two spans. Third time through the order, 30 plate appearances, so small sample size. Six walks and 30 plate appearances, same as the other two, despite like a third as many plate appearances. So hmm. he's not putting guys away. He's losing guys, and when he is in the zone, um, he's starting to get get hit pretty hard too so I, I do think he just needs to to work on on finishing pitches like his missed bats um and just get a little more consistent i don't know trust being in the zone a little bit more but until he is missing bats and not having those you know foul 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 so the book on him is anything other than you can frustrate him if you keep making contact he's maybe gonna have some problems um lasting very long yeah i think that that's fair i don't see it as being probably a long-term issue because the stuff is good and you see it early on in games. I think you will, you'll see him make adjustments and figure this out. But even if he doesn't, even if this is just kind of what he is, you could still get a lot of value, especially if you just sort of know that this is what he is and council can watch for this moment in a game and decide, okay, now is the moment that we pull the plug because if you can get four really good innings out of, Brandon Woodruff on a regular basis that is still really really good there is a lot of value in that and it it isn't him hitting his ceiling 
but it is something you can at least manage around, right? You, a manager can, especially in stretch run type situations, like maybe this isn't something you do in May of a, of an, of a normal season, but it's definitely something you can do in September and October of a regular season where you are pulling him early and just taking advantage of what he is giving you. And it kind of like a maybe a, a less good. Remember old Pedro Martinez? how he could be completely dominant for those first 100 pitches and then kind of fell apart. And if you had a manager unlike was a Grady little who Grady little yeah. didn't use it correctly. If you have a manager that just kind of knows this is what we need to do and this is how we need to, to do this, that player can be tremendously valuable for you still. So mm-hmm. it, it's just a question of figuring it out. And I do think that we will see him get better and we'll, we'll put in the effort to figure this out. And, and figure out ways to get guys out that third time through. But it isn't necessarily critical for him to do that, to be still a very good pitcher, to be a very useful piece of this team. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen pretty frequently, it's been Freddie Peralta coming in to kind of clean up that mess. Uh, Woodruff has like a 390, 391 ERA right now, which could frankly be a whole lot worse if uh, Freddie didn't come in and kind of, do a lot of mopping up there. Yep. So I guess to, to Ryan's point, maybe Paul, do you think we see Craig council kind of limit Woodruff a little bit more in these last few weeks and go to Freddie a little sooner, or how would you handle that situation? I wouldn't be surprised if his leash gets a little bit shorter. Yeah. Especially when you're in full Craig timber mode and pushing for the playoffs. Um, there, I think there's also some pretty clear signs when he's going to struggle. And so it's pretty easy to get him when you hit those At, and, I get why you let him go, especially early. Like you want to let him work out his problems and you can't do that if you're not pitching in them. But I do think when they get closer to the playoff crunch that they'll probably go to a more heavy bullpen load and you'll start to see shorter leashes on everybody, not just Woodruff, but Woodruff also. Yeah. And speaking of uh, pitchers that have kind of been struggling lately, uh, Josh Lindblom, Josh Lindblom got hit around a little bit again. Uh, He kind of started that really ugly. What was it? 12 to one loss to the Tigers that ended up with Orlando Arcia on the mound. And it was just a nightmare game all around. His ERA is up to 646 now in seven starts. Uh, He gave up four runs on six hits and three walks over five innings against the Tigers in that game. Uh, to his credit, though, I guess the FIP is a little bit better. It's at 484. But with a couple of off days coming up in the next week, the Brewers are actually skipping his next start. Uh, and that always kind of, you know, throws up red flags when you start skipping starts for starters, although not that uncommon for a fifth starter. I guess, Ryan, have you seen anything that's kind of concerning with him over the last outing, few outings? Or do you think this is kind of one of those random bumps in the road for a bottom of the rotation guy? Yeah, I think it's probably more of the latter than anything else. And I, it is worth pointing out, too, that, yes, the FIP is good, but the uh, DRA is 592. So this well, isn't, yeah, it's, that's not a good number, though we do have to remember that DRA is uh, measured against runs allowed, not earned runs allowed. So it's that is a little bit higher than what you would, like, if a DRA is 592, you'd expect, like, a I guess a deserved earned runs average would be, like, you know, a little bit lower than that, like yeah. 570 or something. But 570 is still a bad number. It's not good. <laughs> not great. No. Nope. No. So it is It is troubling. I think that we see him miss the bats, and that is good. 
and we we know that he has that capability and the walk rate is it's high for a starter but it's not like high for like a fourth starter that strikes out like that many guys that's not you don't look at that and go oh this is just insane he's not tyler chatwood from the last few years you know it's not like Mm -hmm. that kind of walk rate so but his strand rate has been it's actually closer to the league average than i thought he's stranding 67 percent of runners and the league is 72 percent so yeah he's below average there but it's not crazy below average and you would expect that to get a little bit better probably because that does tend to be an issue and i don't think have you noticed anything about him that that screams like he has problems out of the stretch or something i haven't noticed anything like that like his command goes and gets worse when he's pitching out of the stretch i haven't really noticed much of that no no, I haven't. Uh, but I, I do think, and you might want to double check me on these numbers, but it does, you know, with the high strikeouts and the high walk rates, it it does seem like obviously he's pitching around the edges of the zone, right? So that's going to get a lot of guys to chase. He's struck out 11.7 per nine, which I think is a hell of a lot better than any of us would have imagined when they signed Josh Lindblom. Yeah. Uh, but, but he's also walking 4.4 per nine to Ryan's point there. So... Uh, you know, maybe he's just getting some bad luck here, but at the same time, I think the worrisome thing for me is he was one of the few free agents that they didn't sign to a one year plus an option, right? Like he's here three years regardless. So I guess, yeah, but they're not so far into him. Like it's a three year deal, but it was 9 million total. So you're, that's true. They can walk away from this (laughs) if they need to, they could, or, or, you know, if he ends up being a high strikeout middle reliever, like $3 million per is not absurd either, right? So I, I guess that's less worrisome. But I guess, Paul, is there any worry here with him for you? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about him in kind of the same way I'm worried about a lot of the, the back-end offensive guys and that, you know, he, he's, he's kind of a um, marginal starter slash pitcher in the first place. And mm-hmm. I, I do think he's the kind of guy where, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't read anything into the, the fact that they're skipping a start. They're aggressive with their pitchers and always have been in the council era. And as they get closer to the playoffs, that's just what you do. But I don't think his struggles really play into that. I mean, if he was dominating everybody like at a Burnsian level, I'm sure they wouldn't skip him. But um, when you're the fifth guy, that just happens to you sometimes. That sure. said, like his numbers aren't that encouraging, and it's not like there's a huge history of of Lindblom in the majors doing that well. So when you sign a guy like that, it's a little speculative to start with that he has figured something out and turned something around. And if he hasn't, it's not that surprising. So I'm sure that they'll, you know, what he's he's not a disaster. He's he's you know there have been worse pitchers than he, than him in on the Brewers over time, and I'm sure that he'll get another chance you know next year also because they do have him signed for three years but if he doesn't work out like brian said the the financial commitment's not that bad and it won't be that surprising he is a very typical we're taking a chance on this guy we'll see how he is and if not eh, no big deal yeah he's got a really weird and i don't know how much i want to read into this yet because we're talking about a pretty small sample but this is this is interesting in that his first time through the order he's allowing a 951 ops and his problems have pretty frequently been that first inning, right? And then, yep. yeah, second yeah. time through, it's 761, and third time through, it's 607. So he seems to settle in and get better through the as the game goes, but that also is a, a matter of you know sample size, too, because his third time through, he's only thrown yeah. to 14 batters third time through, so it's, it's a tiny sample. 
I do hate saying sample size every freaking time this season since the whole <laughs> season is a small sample size. But it's also worth noting that uh, opposite side hitting is just destroying him as well. Um, mm. And he has been very, very rookie-ish this year. That's also something to keep an eye on just because platoon splits can get out of line over a small sample size obviously very easily. But I can see kind of how his stuff plays like that. So um, <laughs> uh, also worth keeping an eye on to see if that starts to come down um, and condense back to the middle a little bit as the season goes on. Because I, I don't know, when I, when I see platoon splits that out of whack, I do get a little bit worried about a guy. Yeah, he may be more in line for a role like Eric Yardley where you're using yeah. him in an inning where you're facing maybe two righties and one lefty and that lefty doesn't have you know particular pop. Like that's where they try to get Yardley in. That could be Josh Lindblom's role it could. next year, maybe. And he does have pretty big career splits, too. So um, just something to watch when you're watching the game. <laughs> yeah, to your point, I mean, 1.1 OPS against 1.106 against left-handed batters and 4.472 against righties. So, like, yeah, and absolutely over, dominates righties. Yeah, I checked his careers just to see how out of line that was. It's not that out of line. Um, he mm. basically has 900 OPS against um, lefties over his career and a 600 against um, righties. So this is a little extreme, but it's not that extreme. So that's uh, that can get you into trouble. You, you can't have super giant platoon splits when you're a starting pitcher in baseball. Exactly. Well, maybe we end up seeing like an opener used for him. Like maybe you start Brent Suter and then you throw in uh, <laughs> Limblum for the second. And once you get through the righties, I don't know, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how uh, Craig council handles him down the stretch and into the postseason because obviously he does have value there as that right-handed specialist, I suppose, uh, especially with those kind of strikeout numbers, but yeah, it may be not long for him in the rotation. We'll just have to see how that goes. Turning now to, I guess, the other big thing in the last week, we spent a lot of time last week talking about what the Brewers might do at the trade deadline. Now we know what they did, and it turns out it wasn't a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> um, I think we had guessed correctly that uh, David Phelps was one of the guys on the move. They did end up sending him to Philadelphia for uh, three very young arms, uh, very, I guess, unheralded prospects to the point where our, our prospect as experts... I uh, even kind of struggled to find information on these guys. Uh, so uh, in return, the Brewers get uh, Brandon Ramey, Israel Pueo, and Juan Geraldo. All three of them were 19. I think Ramey just turned 20. So these are three very young arms. I think the comparison we saw a lot was to the Adam Lynn trade that got the Brewers Freddie Peralta. So, you know, those deals can work out okay. Just we're going to have to wait a long time to see how that plays out. And I know Ryan, you and Brad talked to uh, Mike Rosenbaum from MLB pipeline for the upcoming minor league extra podcast. You were able to ask him uh, about that. So we wanted to play a little bit of a clip from that interview to kind of tease ahead to that minor league extra and kind of uh, provide a little insight on who exactly the brewers are getting here. So uh, we'll play that clip now. So yesterday the brewers traded David Phelps to the Phillies for what was reported as three low level pitchers and they're currently players to be named later, but are they though? <laughs> yeah. So MLB.com's Adam McAlvey did, uh, he named names. So he, he came out and said that uh, Brandon uh, Ramey, uh, Israel Puelo, and uh, Juan, uh, I guess, Geraldo 
were the three guys. Can you tell us anything about these guys? They they seem to be fairly off the radar at this point. But yeah, um, so w- one thing I want to point out, and I'm sure you guys have already probably discussed this or Brewers community has, but but this really is reminiscent of that Adlin trade that netted them Freddie Peralta. You know, these are exactly it's pretty much the same scenario. You know, you're targeting guys who they the Brewer Scouts probably saw last year in the, um, the GCL or, or, or the DSL guys who are on the radar maybe as international products who they liked and knowing that they had a chance to get them now. That's why they specifically targeted them. But the first thing that jumps out with all these guys is they're strike throwers. And I think if you look back at Freddie Peralta, that was a key attribute with him at the time. You know, nobody really knew nothing about him. I mean, I, I was in charge of the Brewers list at the time. I'm like, who the hell is this Freddie Peralta guy? You know, it's not a high profile international signing. Ramey obviously was a draft pick, I think a 20th rounder. So there's a little bit more background on him. He's kind of a a lower three quarters righty kind of kind of some bullpen risk but sweepy slider breaking ball high 80s low 90s right now but he was also you know uh 23th round pick out of high school so there's still some projection left even with the the lower slot but but outside of that i'm gonna be honest i don't know much about geraldo <laughs> pueo i don't know as much about either i think the fair way to look at it is you know these are guys who are so young i think you know they're anywhere from what 17 to 20 20 years or sorry 19 20 years old um they're lottery ticket type arms so if you get one to pay off if one of them becomes a big leaguer like freddie peralta did then you're in really good shape but at the least you know it's it's any chance you have to stockpile a system with three arms that you like is you know a good a good a good haul you know and david phelps (laughs) not a bad pitcher by any means you know he was um a good piece for them for the brewers to trade especially with uh, incoming depth they're realizing now with devin williams uh rasmussen um obviously you know hater would have brought a huge return had they dealt him probably too high the teams were willing to pay but um i would say i know most about ramey and that he's just a you know, a tall pitcher with a with a funky arm slot um good secondary stuff not a ton of velo and then the other guys are, you know, wait and see. And I think when we talk about these guys being lottery tickets, we have to respect that under the David Stearns era, the Brewers have been pretty successful at developing their own pitchers internally. You look at, you know, fourth round picks and Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and what they've turned those guys into. You look at, I think Woodruff was later than fourth round. Uh, but you look at, uh, you know, like the guys we talked about, Devin Williams, jo- uh, Josh Hader, who came over from Houston. Uh, but they have a lot of their own arms in the system right now. So I think when you've had that success and you have three quote unquote bolts in the gun, if you will, you're looking at him being much more likely to hit the target with that. Yeah. And going off what you said, um, uh, talking about guys who've, who've entered the system or, you know, let's just let's just go broader. Uh Shupak obviously came over from the Pirates. Um, Devin Williams and Rasmussen both had arm injuries. Um, Woodruff and Burns weren't, you know, highly touted draft picks. Uh, you know, but the Brewers are really good at identifying pitchers who they are able, will be able to mold and develop. And also, you know, I, I think the success rate speaks for itself. That's a lot of affordable homegrown pitching and really helps, you know, really helps you remain competitive when you're not shelling out a ton of money for, for starting pitching. Yeah, I think it's a thing that Brewers fans have spent basically their entire lives being conditioned to think, well, we're really good at developing hitters. And we're going back to like the 80s here with, you know, guys like Yount and Molitor and all this, even into the 70s of being able to develop 
guys on the hitting side, but pitching has been a problem. Like it was a huge, it was the thing that kept Doug Melvin's era from, from producing more than it did was they just couldn't seem to get a pitcher outside of Giovanni Gallardo to make its way through the farm system and, and turn into anything. And that really has changed in the last decade, like especially the last like five, six years. And it's I think people are starting to catch on to that a little bit. But I I think there's still like a thing internally with the Brewers fan DNA. Like we just can't ever have pitching. We can't develop it. And now all of a sudden we really that that is what the team does better than developing hitting. You're telling me you don't want to be stuck in the Taylor Youngman, Judd Bradley, uh, <laughs> Johnny Helwig era anymore? Anything? anything? Oh yeah, uh, there's there's so many guys from from that era. You know, the Mark Rogers pick in 2000. Mark Rogers pick, of uh, course. Or 2004. I mean, it's there's so many. Yeah. The funny thing is, those guys all had fantastic September like debuts that set up expectations that were astronomically high that they just never came close to meeting so we already teased this but it is a happy phil bickford day for us all <laughs> be honest with us mike how long has it been since you figured this just wasn't happening um i i would have never even thought it was possible until like late last summer when he kind of got back on track and um you know granted to put some stupid numbers against younger guys but the reports were you know he's not throwing he's not throwing like mid upper 90s as he once was but like the slider is still filthy he's throwing strikes with his fastball most importantly he's not all over the place and and I think I don't know with a guy like that you've heard about like the maturity issues in the past and everything some guys just need to grow up and it takes a little bit longer for them to figure it out you know he's miscast as a starter for a lot of the a lot of his minor league career um, change of scenery new role more appropriate role and you see, you see guys take off with that. And I think another thing, going back to what we were saying before about Bruce's ability to develop pitching, I think they're very good at identifying guys who might be miscast by the scouting community in one role, whether it's like a, a college pitcher who could start, they think can, can for sure start at the next level, or a current starter who they are optimistic will wind up in a bullpen role to some degree. And I think that's, that's one of their strengths in addition to just the overall development. All right. Well, thanks to uh, Brad, Ryan, and Mike Rosenbaum for that. I guess moving more in general terms for the trade deadline, Paul, are you, I guess, surprised that the Brewers didn't do more? Or is this about kind of what you expected? No, this is dead on from what I expected. It, it, there was actually more movement around baseball uh, as a, as a total than I expected. Yeah, that kind of surprised me. Yeah. So it's only surprising against that backdrop where there was far more um, activity than. Uh, given the, the fact nobody can scout properly um, and that this season is weird and maybe it won't even count or nobody will care about it in the future. Uh, I thought everybody would kind of sit tight or maybe make little tiny trades like the Brewers made. So it's weird that the Brewers didn't join the fray, but in, in terms of what they did, this is exactly what they do. Um, and for a, a season like this makes a lot of sense. Um, they they're selling high on a reliever. That was a reclamation project for them in the first place they're getting what they can for him. And I mean, I'm not the prospect guy. It doesn't sound like they got high in talent, but you know, you, you get some guys lower down who you see something in, um, in a few years that can really pay off. It's how you build depth in systems. Um, and you know, cycling through low to high relief is a good way to build up your farm system. Generally, this was, this one, I think makes a lot of sense. Opportunity was there. Their bullpen is still strong and, uh, it, it's dead on exactly what the brewers do a lot of the time. So not surprised at all. I'm really just surprised at the rest of baseball. Yeah, I would echo that. I think that you did see very few like true impact players move, I guess, with the exception of, say, Mike Clevenger 
And yeah. that was obviously, I don't think the Indians move him unless they had the situation that they had where they needed to get they him just off the team. To, yeah, they needed to get him the hell out of the clubhouse at that yep. point, right? Yep. So I think that you really did see it kind of tamp down the top of the market for players because nobody was going to give up impact prospects, which is why we did hear rumors and talk that, you know, the Brewers were listening. At least they had only uh, incoming phone calls, no outgoing phone calls about Josh Hader. Yep. But it does make sense then that nothing came of that because to make a deal like that, you would have to get a huge return and you'd have to feel really good about what you were getting back. And I don't know that it's possible to feel really good about getting back major value in this environment that we're in. So we saw a lot of, you know, around the fringes sorts of moves. And we also had the report that the Brewers were, was it David Stern said at, at 355, he thought that they were going to be getting a hitter and that mm-hmm. ended up falling through. And the speculation has been pretty strong that it was uh, Goodwin who ended up on the Reds, right? Yep. So not an impact hitter. Like even if they had made a move, it wouldn't have been for like an impact bat sure the way that helped the outfield situation at least but yeah yes it would have helped the outfield situation and i think that is something that you know they really they are struggling with is having like a legitimate center fielder because Mm -hmm. lorenzo kane is is so good defensively and was offering you know a pretty good uh offensive profile as well besides the defense that you not having that guy there is is really hurting them. And I also speculated this week that it's hard to know, but like, what do you think his, his just not being with the team is, how is that impacting like the, the clubhouse and all that? You have to think that it's at least something like it's not a positive to not have him around. You want guys like him in your clubhouse. It's hard. It's impossible to know, but it seems reasonable to sort of guess that like, that's, that's not great that he's not around. Yeah, I could see that. You know, obviously, those are the intangibles that are just impossible to measure, right? Mm-hmm. But I do know that they, the reporters did catch up with Lorenzo uh, in the last week or so, too, just to kind of see. And it was kind of interesting that they, uh, well, they talked to him right after Isan Diaz somehow was allowed to return to the Marlins uh, after previously opting out, even though apparently I thought there was a deadline for that, but maybe not. And it kind of just shows that the league is kind of making this up as, yep. as they go along. They kind of asked Lorenzo, you know, did, I don't know if they asked him, did you regret opting out or, you know, but he said like he missed the guys, thinks about the decision every day, but, you know, he seemed fairly com- comfortable being home with the kids, which good on him. Yep. But yeah, I, I could definitely see a situation where not having him around, especially after the last couple of years, the kind of the role he played kind of holding everybody together and keeping them keeping spirits up is kind of an important thing too, especially, you know, when you see how everybody's been struggling this year, it wouldn't surprise me if that had an effect. It's just kind of impossible to know to what degree. Right. Yep. No, I mean, that's totally true. And I know that we can underrate um, chemistry effects because they're not really quantifiable, but they're definitely a thing. And uh, I don't think there's any debate about what Lorenzo Cain's role is in the clubhouse. So um, I think the one thing we can say with absolute certainty is that when you do lose a good clubhouse presence, it has a negative effect on, on a lot of people's mental health within the clubhouse, you know, it disrupts mm-hmm. routines, uh, people who you talk to about um, playing things and personal things are not there. And 
that does have a quantifiable impact. It, it's hard to tie it back because we don't get to see inside the clubhouse. You know, it, there's, there's only so much we're allowed to study in with good reason. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, that it, it does absolutely matter. Um, there, there's a good Russell Carlton article from like 2015 on just what he, what he thinks the math on chemistry would look like um, without assigning any, you know, actual, any people's actual real interactions to it. But just with like, here's the ways I think people, um, impact other players on their team. Here's where I think that probably increases stats. Um, and just so you guys, if you don't know, everybody listening to this probably knows Russell Carlton very well. Um, he is a math person and also a psychology person. So this is kind of his wheelhouse. So if you can track that down, check it out just to keep these things in mind because intangibles do matter quite a bit, even if we can't actually you know, put concrete numbers to them. Totally agree. Yeah. So we do have a couple more Patreon questions I want to get to before we get out of here. Uh, we've got Steve DeRozier. He's asking, what players, if any, do you predict the Brewers will pick up options on for the next year? Uh, I think our list is getting kind of <laughs> limited at this point after <laughs> oh, Justin Smoke got DFA'd. But I guess Ryan uh, Jerko, maybe? <laughs> do you have anybody else in mind? Yeah, I mean, Jerko is kind of the obvious guy. He has been really good yeah. in limited play this year, and it's really been platoony to this point. We're going to see more now what he does against, because he's going to be playing on a more regular basis against uh, right-handed pitchers. So we're going to get kind of a, a better feel for that because he's so far just crushed lefties. That's been his his role yeah. on the team. Uh, $4.5 million for next year is not nothing. I know that sounds like not a lot, but they're going to have to feel like they couldn't do better than him for that money on the open market in a market where things are very likely to be very, very team friendly. Like this seems like a market where it isn't, it is going to be a buyer's market. And Mm -hmm. so it's for me hard to have any real faith that they would pick him up. I think a big part of why they traded David Phelps is they maybe weren't going to pick up that option and they yeah. didn't want to even have to confront that. They didn't want to have to say, Hey, this guy had a really good season in the bullpen for us. And we're just not going to pick up the option because we're not going to spend that money that way. And that would have been something that people like us would have, you know, complained vociferously about. <laughs> so, would have been the Eric Thames situation all over again, yeah. Yeah, it, it very much could have been. So I think that they kind of got him off the roster so that they didn't even have to fight that battle. And because they could get, obviously they got, I think, you know, decent return for him given what he has been. So I, I think that we are looking at a very, very, very bad market for players this winter and so i don't know that even jed jerko would get picked up yeah i'm kind of leaning no one you know just when you put that number to jed jerko's likely production next year that that's a that's a tall order um that's a lot of money for um a platoon player who you know he's not super limited but there's a lot of guys who can do that out there and there's going to be a lot of them available for not that much money i um I guess I wouldn't even be surprised if they end up cutting him loose and getting him back cheaper. <laughs> it's going right. to be a weird off season. Um, so I, I'm not sure any of the option guys will be back um, just because there's going to be a flood of cheap talent out there. And you know, they're going to be one of the, more, I think, more penny pinching teams that there that exists. Um, 
So they'll, they'll look for their deals, but they're not going to just throw money at a guy because he happens to have an existing option. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I think Jericho is probably the most likely, but I, I would bet against kind of anybody. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh, I guess when you bring in the the actual number, I guess my argument for maybe considering keeping Jerko is take a look at the free agent list for first and third base. Not great. I know off the top of my head, the first base list is basically Anthony Rizzo, Carlos Santana, and a bunch of trash. So, and I, <laughs> and I would probably bet that uh, Rizzo and Santana just end up returning to Chicago and Cleveland just because the markets are going to be terrible. But to Paul's point, I think you could, if if you really love Jed Jerko for some reason, and God love you if you do. I mean, I was probably admittedly higher on him than than either of you guys going into this. And even then, like I kind of recognized he's a lefty head hitting specialist at this point in his career. He's not a full-time player. So I don't know if you justify four and a half million on a, penny pinching payroll as you guys said i mean there you could probably find you know the names aren't out there but you could probably find similar production if you crunch the numbers and the brewers yep. assuredly do right so uh i i guess yeah i wouldn't bet on anybody picking up any options and i know we tend to forget about ryan braun as the other player with an option and he, there's no chance in hell that option is getting picked up. Nope. So, <laughs> though, again, he's a guy that they could maybe bring back at a much reduced salary if Braun decides he wants to continue to play. Right. Uh, it's kind of interesting. We haven't heard his thoughts on that pretty recently. I know in the first few weeks he was pretty consistently talking about that and hasn't seemed to talk much about it lately, but maybe he just hasn't been asked. Who knows? But yeah, that'll be another interesting one to see in the offseason. But yeah, I, out of anybody who's still on the team, I mean, Eric Sogard, he's not getting, he's probably getting DFA'd before the end of this month if I had to put money on that too. So <laughs> we'll see. Because they've pretty much already cut bait on all of those guys they had to make decisions on one way or another, whether it was trade like Phelps or just DFAs, right? So uh, yeah, I don't think any of them get picked up. Uh, one last Patreon question from Adam Post, specifically to me. He says, when James <laughs> says, that's James with a Y, am I the only one that pictures his name being spelled Yames? Um, I don't know, guys. <laughs> Do that, either of you um, picture it that way? That's Remember when uh, Jim James from uh, My Morning Jacket did the whole Yim Yames thing? Like, that's what mm -hmm. I instantly thought of from uh, there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so funny story with this. I actually do have a friend. She calls me James because, uh, <laughs> it, I don't know if you've ever seen the meme from like years ago. Now it was like a Starbucks cup, you know, they write the name on, on the, on the cup, or at least they used to, I don't know if they still do with COVID and whatever. Uh, but you know, you give your name and, and the guy said, my name's Mark with a C and you know, it's one of those like snotty Starbucks servers memes. So he takes a picture of the cup and it says Kark. Mark with us the uh, so that's where my friend got James from. So no, you're not Adam. You're not the only one. But it's kind of funny that you bring that up. Yeah, um, I just always have assumed that you're a Knicks, but mm, apparently, like no, Lance no. and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I did like Lance Knicks for that reason. Uh, <laughs> the entire family with the yep. extraneous with Y the extraneous in the middle y. there. Yeah. Uh, all right, <laughs> turning back to baseball now, we got some Twitter questions too. Justin Sane asking uh, about 
Devin Williams saying, should he be in contention for rookie of the year at this point? I guess, Paul. Sure. Yeah. Uh, is, is, <laughs> is, is he Ricky? He is Ricky. He is Ricky right? eligible. Mm-hmm. I, you know? I double checked before we started this. He still has okay. his eligibility. I thought, yep. I thought so, but um, I mean, yes, I, this, this season's weird. Are we giving awards for this season? Because yep. if we're getting, awards for, if we're getting awards for this season, he should be in contention for Cy Young. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, he should definitely be in contention for rookie of the year. He's like the best reliever in baseball and getting a fair amount of innings to actually show it off too. So I, there's probably in a small sample size season like this, like a whole bunch of guys who are in contention for rookie of the year. Um, but he should be one of them. He's been outstanding. There's no reason that to exclude him. That, that guy's great. And I think that you could actually see him get some some run for it because he has become baseball internet famous. Like, oh That's yeah, pitching ninja pitching is ninja all above the D train. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and like people are talking about him on on MLB Network and things. I've when I've just had it on in the background, like John Heyman is talking about him. So you know mm-hmm. that he's reached a certain level of fame just because you, one you have that absolute Bugs Bunny changeup. And two, the numbers are just absolutely like eye poppingly ridiculous. So mm-hmm. and I think it would help him if he started to get saves in the ninth inning for this. Like that would be something that would burnish his his uh, resume. Yep. But I also don't think that's going to happen. One, because Hader has such a long track record of being so good. And two, because I think they very much like using Devin Williams where they have him and having that ability to use, you know, you still have a good closer, a, a good guy for the ninth, but your best reliever can be yep. in the middle but in front of him. That's where they really want to use him the same way they used Hader in front of Knable and Jeffress. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, it is. You bring up a really good point on him getting that national pub because you know, I was watching the uh, trade deadline stuff on MLB Network, and when they were talking about the possibility of the Brewers trading Josh Hader, Devin Williams was one of those factors that they kept bringing up, uh, saying, you know, like part of the reason they may be considering letting him go at this point, seeing what they can, is because they've already think they've got the next guy lined up, right? So uh, definitely kind of an interesting thought process there. Yeah. I, I'm trying to look up the other rookies uh, in the NL right now, and none of them are really kind of popping out at me. So, I mean, the the big rookie names are all in the AL. You've got Luis Robert, who's actually making a run probably for AL MVP, you yep. could argue. Um, you got Kyle Lewis in Seattle. I guess uh, the war leader for the NL now is Jake Cronenworth in San Diego. I was just going to say, uh, Cronenworth is probably going to be tough to beat for that. Yep though he's also a pop-up guy though i guess devin williams is too so that's it doesn't really i mean people like devin williams and knew about him but he also wasn't a guy that anybody was talking about for like an award so yeah but cronenworth has been very 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 good and has come kind of out of nowhere to be a, a pretty important piece of that absolutely ridiculous san diego padres offense which by the way did you know that like in their history it was something like they had never had a team finish in the top six in the league in runs just because huh. they've always played in <laughs> pitching parks. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. The, the old football stadium they played in and then Petco has always been a pitcher's park. So yeah. yeah. And the, the Marine layer thing in San Diego is definitely a big yeah, factor. Yeah. yeah. Totally. 
Yeah. I mean, Cronenworth, it looks like he's going to be tough to beat. He's hitting 330, 386, 565 right now, 1.3 war on fan Although, you know, Devin's not that far behind. He's at 0.9 war, which as a reliever is it's kind incredible. of insane. Yeah. And if you, <laughs> and with relievers, people will often point to their, the win probability added instead. Yeah. Because it's probably a more accurate measure of how good they truly are. How they though, affect. Though they yep. don't have, all the control in the world over that because a lot of it is when they get used when they can yeah. you know add value that way but i think that you can make a case for him that way and we'll see i, I wouldn't expect him to win but i i think that he's in the uh the picture right now for it yeah i uh, just looked it up uh devin williams wpa is 1.02 at this point you know he, he's definitely affecting games in that way it's just kind of wild to see him come back from, you know, the arm injuries and kind of the long road he's he's gotten to this point. It's definitely a great story, and hopefully it continues. One last Twitter question. Uh, we started with Jay Google. We may as well end with Jay Google. So uh, he's asking, do you think the Brewers shorten the rotation down the stretch here, or do they do a couple more bullpen days with the amount of days they have off in the next month? So kind of touching back to the, you know, we, we skipped the Josh Lindblom start. Do you, and we kind of touched on this with Woodruff. Do you, I guess, Ryan, do you see Craig Council going full Craig Timber now in these next few weeks? Hell yeah. This was always <laughs> going to be likely because they have more off days this month. What makes it less playable? I mean, Lindblom is still going to have to start games because yeah. they've got those three double headers against the Cardinals. They're going to need just innings. So you're not going to completely get away from him in that in that way. But I expect them to do everything they can to get their best pitchers on the mound as much as possible and to limit the damage that their less good pitchers can do, which is how Craig Council always manages down the stretch. Like that's Mm -hmm. what he's done since before they were even a good team. He was doing that in 2017. Yeah, I guess, Paul, your thoughts. Uh, yeah, he'll, this is going to be full all out Craig Timber. Um, and I don't know why we would, we would expect different, I guess the only reason we maybe would expect a little different is because we thought the whole season might be Craig Timber and he hasn't (laughs) quite gone full out in the first, That's true. but uh, I I mean, he's got plenty to work with and I fully expect everything to tighten up pitchers, leashes to get tighter, more bullpen, more platooning games to start to take forever. Um, and you know, abuse everything that you can. Um, if we see openers, that that won't be surprising. If we see shenanigans during Cardinal doubleheaders, I, 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 I'm oh, rooting for that. I think I'm rooting for shenanigans. Yeah. What what kind of shenanigans do you think they could get up to? I'm trying to envision what that would look if, like. If you if you would like an idea for some shenanigans that you might be able to force the Cardinals into on a doubleheader, um, is basically forcing their hand with going heavy on platoons. Um, forcing them to, tr- to play a bunch of guys in game one and um, knocking them out for game two and then um, bringing in like a rookie if you can force a bunch of righties without uh, support there um, and just mow them down. Like you can you can maybe set up Lindblom for game two if you get enough righty play and uh, knock a few guys out in game one or maybe abuse their pitchers. I don't know. Like uh, I, all I think about is the, the uh, it was the Dan Jennings, Freddie Peralta team up from a couple of years ago where yeah. – um, they got the Cardinals to put in an already lineup and then they let Freddie mow them down no hitter style um, for two straight innings and they never adjusted to it. So I, I assume the Cardinals will still not adjust properly because they're the Cardinals. And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just hope they're war gaming this out because they have, you know, double headers always create some crunches in who you can and can't use. And 
I feel like if you're a smart team, you can uh, you can figure some of this out. Uh, maybe I'll spend the week doing that myself because um, I, I think uh, I think there's some good strategic opportunities here. This will be uh, Craig Timber three Craig's Revenge. Maybe use an opener in the first game and don't commit to who's going to follow them and just say like Josh Lindblom is going to pitch in this in this two game set like he will mm-hmm. be a guy but we aren't committing to using him in this game it right away and if they load up on lefties then maybe you follow your opener with Brent Suter as yeah, opposed to Lindblom and then in game two you you uh I guess that that doesn't help Lindblom so much, but it could keep him away from like a, a stacked lefty lineup that way. Exactly. So, yeah. Something like that. I could see that's, that's a good or, call. Yeah. And um, like if, if you have hater finish off game one and he's looking good and does it quickly, do you maybe have him start game two? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, there's a 40 minute break between the games. So that's eh. it's a long inning, but that is a yeah. long inning. Okay. Yeah. That would be a, very... kind of a bummer. Yeah. Oh, well. I don't know. We, we've got some time to think up these yep. nefarious plans. So maybe think of them up and, and we'll reconvene next week. Anything our, to screw with biggest. the baby eaters. I'm all for. Yeah. And I'm, you know, this is, this is Craig's revenge yes. for uh, Mike Schultz getting uh manager of the year last year. So a hundred percent. So it's just ridiculous. <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous. Also, if you do have any of your own good um, abusing doubleheader ideas, please drop them off as questions. Um, yes. I didn't hear them. Yeah, we'll do that. And that segues nicely. Uh, if you have something you want us to talk about or your own nefarious anti-cardinal plans, our Twitter account is at MKE Tailgate. Send them there. Uh, you can also send us all a tweet directly. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Ryan is at RD Top. I'm at James L. And while you're at it, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you do listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review to help other people find us as well. Happy Labor Day, everybody. We're looking forward to seeing how we can all screw with the Cardinals. <laughs> we'll we'll look, look ahead to those next week and more uh, next week's episode. In the meantime, stay well, and we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. That was just Kyle saying no. (laughs) Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. Very helpful. That's (laughs) super helpful.